And the psalm we're looking at today in particular is the psalm that remembers the crowning of God at the top of Mount Zion. So God's people take this journey into the city. They get to the city of God, and then they go up to the mountain, Mount Zion, the the Mount of Joy. And there now a temple is built. And upon, in that temple, is the Holy of Holies where God is present. And so for us today, what does that mean? Well, we have a couple holidays, Christmas and Easter. But I want you to know this. There's no command in Scripture to celebrate Christmas and Easter. There's a command about these three pilgrimages. And and they might feel like Christmas and Easter does the way to us. But what I want you to see is that the only command that God gives you about a gathering really is about Sunday morning. And, and it's so much so that like if you miss Sunday morning, you begin getting this FOMO, like God is doing something and you're missing out. And the key to it is you have become so expected. Like you, you, you're imagining Sunday morning as this journey, like you are marching here. And you're marching here to meet with God, and God has already marched his way in here to meet with you. And you're so expectant that he's going to do something that you can't seem to miss it ever. Like you wouldn't miss Christmas and Easter. Now let me say this. Something I hear all the time. People will say to me, yeah, but, I mean, I can go and meet with God out on a boat. I could go and meet with God at the beach. I could meet with God under a tree. And all I want to say to that is that God disagrees with you. He really disagrees. And here's why. And before I tell you this, many churches will, will, will say this. We are competing with a Sunday morning boat ride. And so they, they do everything that they can to make the services as engaging as possible, as exciting as possible, and entertaining as possible. And here's what I want you to know. Being in nature does not equal the presence of God. Hearing an engaging sermon and exciting music does not equal the presence of God. So what does? Faithful people who are expectant to meet with God underneath his word as they gather together. That is where God is most present. In other words, God has marched into our midst. The horn has sounded and he is here. So look for him. Okay, are you ready? Psalm 132. A song of ascents. The word ascents is the technical term for pilgrimage. Remember, O Lord... In David's favor, all the hardships he endured, how he swore to the Lord, how he vowed to the mighty one of Jacob, I will not enter my house or get into my bed. I will not give sleep to my eyes or slumber to my eyelids until I find a place for the Lord, a dwelling place for the mighty one of Jacob. Behold, behold, we have heard it in Ephrathah. We have found it in the fields of Jair. Let us go to his dwelling place. Let us worship at his footstool. Arise, O Lord, and go to your resting place. You, in the ark of your might, let your priests be clothed with righteousness and your saints with shouts of joy. For the sake of your servant David, do not turn away the face of your anointed one. The Lord swore to David a sure oath from which he will not turn back. 
Now this is God speaking. One of the sons of your body I will set on your throne. If your sons keep my covenant and my testimonies that I shall teach them, their sons also shall forever sit on your throne. For the Lord has chosen Zion. He has desired it for his dwelling place. This is my resting place forever. Here I will dwell, for I have desired it. I will abundantly bless her provisions. I will satisfy her poor with bread. Her priests I will clothe with salvation, and her saints will shout with joy. There I will make a horn to sprout for David. I have prepared a lamp for my anointed. His enemies I will clothe with shame, but on him his crown will shine. First point, the God who marches with us. So this is an amazing chapter about the God who marches with you through the wilderness, fights for you until he enters up to his temple in Zion and seats himself there to dwell with his people. And it's a big celebration celebrating this happening. Now, let me just ask, start off this question. When is the last time you had a good celebration about the presence of God among you? Like sitting at the dinner table with your family and you just knew he was with you and you celebrated that. When was the last time as you sang songs that it was like fireworks going off in your soul because you knew God was with you? So here's our context. Let's go to the Old Testament. We're going to focus in on our verses here and then we're going to transition into the New Testament of what it means for us today. So what they're doing is they are celebrating in this psalm the localized presence of God at the top of Mount Zion where the temple is. In other words, they've been longing for this day and finally God has walked with them through the wilderness and he's taken a seat as king over all of Israel. And, And they're singing this psalm. So again, these are songs they would sing on this pilgrimage. So here's what I'm picturing. I don't know if this is what happened, but it would be really cool if it did. So they get into the city, the gates open up, and they're in Jerusalem, and then they're at the base of the mountain, Mount Zion. And then this song begins. And what this song is doing is it's causing them to remember the day when God finally finished his journey with them through the wilderness and finally took his resting place at the top of Mount Zion. And they're celebrating. I mean, it is a party. They are overwhelmed with joy as this is happening. So while this, this is a pilgrim song, looking back to when that happened, it's actually looking even further back as well. It's looking back to another mountain. Mount Sinai. The mountain where God gave his people the Ten Commandments. Now, how do I know that from this psalm? Well, it talks about this word, the ark, the ark of the covenant. Now, what's, a, what's an ark? It's a box that God is in. Now, we always say, don't put God in a box. Well, God literally puts himself into a box. It's an ark of the covenant, a box that God puts himself into. Now, it's meant to represent his presence, and we're getting this from verses 6 through 8. So, in this box is God, which sounds weird, because God cannot be bound by space or time, but he can enter into it. And God cannot be in the presence of evil, and if he is, he crushes it. And so what we're trying to work out 
is how in the world can we who have evil in us be in the presence of God and allow him to crush our evil without us being crushed? The rest of the Bible tries to work that out. God is everywhere always unbound. But notice something. It's the Ark of the Covenant. So it's a special kind of presence. A covenantal presence. The kind of presence that says God has promised to be with us no matter what. Despite our sin, despite our guilt, despite our shame, he's promised to be with us. And he's promised to help us deal with our sin so long as we will turn away from it and turn to him and follow him. Now, let's just follow the journey of this ark, which means we're following the, the presence of God. So the ark shows up with God's presence, and they're at Mount Sinai, and then they start traveling. And everywhere they go, people pick up this ark and carry it with them. Even when they go into battle, they carry the ark with them because they believe deep in their heart that if ever they win a battle, it's because of God and his presence among them. And then what happens is God's people start being disobedient. They start doing things they shouldn't be doing. And then the Philistines come. This is the enemy of God's people, you know, the people from Goliath. And the ark is taken. The presence of God lost. And then the Philistines are like, we've got it. We've got the greatest prize of our greatest enemy. And then their life starts going horribly. The Philistines' life goes horribly. The enemies of God's people. Because God is among them. And God is essentially giving them such a hard time. He's putting them in hell so much so that they're like, we have to get rid of this great possession. And they send it back. But a few things go down along the way, and this ark ends up in the house or the place of Obed-Edom, in the, in, in the fields of Jar, which is, which is another way of saying Kiriath-Jerim. And what this is, is it's, it's like it's lost in the forest, in the wilderness. And then finally, it's found again, and it's brought back to Jerusalem. And it's this big, huge party. David is dancing in his skivvies even. King David, the king, is dancing in his underwear. This weird thing that happens, his wife gets super mad at him, but he doesn't even care because he is so excited about what is happening. And then David says, God, I'm going to build a temple for you. And God says, no, you're not. This will be the job of your son. And so Solomon builds the temple. And then they have this huge ceremony when the day has come where God is finally going to find his resting place. Now, I want you to see what this means. This is pointing us back to the creation story. God rests on the seventh day. This is for what we're supposed to be seeing here is a new creation. From the chaos to order. From the wilderness wanderings to the promised land. That's a beautiful, beautiful thing. Now, Here's what this means for you. Though you lost him and have been out in the wilderness, he's marched out to be with you. And now, as you face your enemies, you know he's marching with you. As you face darkness, you know he is with you and he's marching like a king. When you are dealing with your sin and it's got hold of you and you can't seem to let it go, he comes and marches among you and forces your hands off of that sin. When fear is setting in and when doubts are plaguing you, he is there marching with you. And when you are in the midst of trials, he marches with you. And when you are so depressed that you feel like giving up, 
you have to remember that there is a greater, a greater one that dwells within you. See, I just skipped something. And I skipped something very important. Things work a bit different today. We have moved into the New Testament. And God is marching in a new way. And it's so amazing that it almost sounds like blasphemy. It almost sounds like, how could you say something like that about God? So when Christ comes, he dies. He rises. And then he ascends to heaven. And he does something very important that's often overlooked when he ascends into heaven. He sends his Holy Spirit to dwell within his people. Now, I just want to make sure you've heard the magnitude of this claim. For a very, very long time, God's people just longed for the day that God would have a house for him to dwell in and rest among them. One time, once a year, one person would be able to go into the temple, into the Holy of Holies where God is most present. One time, once a year. Do you know what is true for you if you are a Christian? The living God has sent His Holy Spirit to come and dwell in you. It's not that you get to walk into the presence of God. It's that the presence of God lives in you. That's something we're celebrating every Sunday. Do you have any idea what that means? Do you have any idea what you are made of now? God became human in order to make you divine. The living God lives in you. And so, yeah, when you're depressed, something greater than your depression lives in you. When your heart has been broken, something greater lives in you that is healing your broken heart. And when you're physically suffering, You have to remember you are a temple where the living God is dwelling and he is marching within you and he is carrying you to a place where one day you will enter into the eternal mount of God and there will be no suffering, death, or pain and all is made right and well. That's what's true for you. And I want you to know what's true for all of us together. The Bible says that when we gather, there's a stirring up in your soul where the Spirit of God is recognizing like the Spirit, like, I don't know, it's weird, but the Spirit lives in all of you, and the Spirit starts like stirring, and as the Word of God is being preached and being sung, it's stirring more in you, and and, and the Spirit in you is longing for the Father and is crying out to the Father through the Son, and all this is happening as we together are joining together as one, and it's stirring in us, and we know God must be present among us. But do you come expectant for that? And do you believe it's actually true? The very longing for the human soul as we're made in the image of God is for God to come and dwell amongst us. But he does more than that. He dwells in us all together. And then look at what happens. So here's what that means. It means that God is on the march right now in a way before Christ came, he was not on the march. It means that he is 
more localized and less localized all at the same time. He's more localized in that there's not a temple for you to go in to experience the presence of God. He's already dwelling in you. He's less localized in that he is dwelling in each and every Christian all around the world, which means he is covering the earth because we're all temples. David and Moses would have longed for this day to come, and they didn't get to experience it, and you do. And here's what that means. Right now, you're here. The presence of God is filling you, and together you walk out of these doors, and you drive in your cars, and you're holding on to the Word of God, and you're holding on to the, and you're carrying God with you. You go into your workplace, and you carry God with you. You go into your homes, and you're carrying God with you. You go and do whatever it is that you're doing, and you're carrying God with you as you go. The whole world has longed for the presence of God, and you have the presence of God in you, carrying it everywhere you go. God is on the march. And then the question becomes, well, what is our, our march? Like, what's our responsibility in all this? What does it look like? This is our second point, our march with God. Verses 1 through 5 talk about David's desires, his motivation for the presence of God to come and dwell among the city. And his desire is so strong that he is willing to endure any affliction in order to see the presence of God come. Now, for you, what does that mean? Well, it means that you ought to, like David, be willing to endure any type of affliction, any type of suffering, any type of trial in order to see the presence of God come into your home and in order to see the presence of God come into your city. And here's what it starts with. Habits, rhythms in your life that you have created that bring the presence of God among you. Okay, this is what we've been up to for the last two years. Two years ago, every single day, here's what we said. Make this a habit. Read your Bible and pray every single day. Do not miss a day. It's important. Last year, we said, in your discipleship groups, get in a discipleship group. Because this is where, collectively, the people of God are immersing themselves in God's word. And the presence of God is stirring among them. Now, this year, we're saying, let's the, let the presence of God go out. Beyond the walls, beyond the discipleship groups, as you carry out with your life. So, you've got to create habits, though. And the habits are going to cause the, the presence of God to dwell in your home. So let's start with your home. You, your Bible time, and your reading, but then carry it on further into the rest of your house. You know, one of the best things, if you're married, one of the best things you can do for your marriage, pray with your spouse every night before you go to bed. It's a very simple thing to do. And I promise you, it will absolutely transform your marriage. And if you're traveling, and if you're out of the state, you call them up and you pray with them that night. And I promise you, this very simple thing will change everything about your marriage. So do it. Pray with your kids before they go to bed at night. And what's going to happen is there's going to be something stirring in your home. And the presence of God is going to start to fill your home so much that the walls of your home can't hold the presence of God in. And then it begins to go out. And so if, if in your life right now you're like, I'm not making an impact 
in the world around me. I don't feel like I'm bringing the presence of God in the world around me. Well, there could be a problem in your home. And it could be that the problem is that you have not brought God into your home enough to where now your family and you can't help but say, the world has to know what we now know. So, you seek the presence of God in your home, and it bursts out. So that's the first. You're desiring God in His presence. Second, you obey Him. God tells David, if you and your sons will obey me, I will not depart from you. But if you disobey me, I will be lost to you. And this is exactly what happens with David's sons. who, From king to king to king, they disobey. And eventually, God is lost. And here's what happens. They're pulled up and they're pushed out of their city. And then the, the temple is destroyed. So the presence of God is now lost to them. For you, what that means is... When you obey God, He remains with you. And when you disobey Him, He's departed. And some of you are not experiencing the presence of God. Some of us aren't experiencing the presence of God in our lives because there's sin in our life that we don't want to let go of. Now, if you've been listening closely to Christianity, you know that, well, wait a minute, God doesn't leave us or forsake us. He chases us down to spider sin, and that's true. And so what it looks like is this. You're rebelling from God, and so you, you squirm out of, his, out of his arms, and you get walking, and you get running away from him. And the whole time, he's not leaving you or forsaking you. He's trailing behind you, and he keeps calling you to turn back. And then we get to our third part. So you desire him, you obey him, and then you're assured. And here's what the assurance looks like. Oh, God, I'm a sinner. I'm a sinner. God, have you given up on me? No, you promised me you haven't. And you turn back and you find him right there. Like Bronson said, he's staring at you. And at first, you see him staring and you're in your sin and you start squirming. You're like, oh my gosh, I got to run even further away from him. And he keeps coming. And then you look back and he's got like this smile on his face, like I'm ready for you to come. And you realize, okay. And so you turn and you run back to him. All because you are assured that he will embrace you. So, maybe you have done that, actually. And you're still not experiencing, or at least you think you have, you're still not experiencing the presence of God. You're like, God, you're still far from me. I thought I turned back from you. So here's potentially two things that are happening. First, what might be happening is you just have to wait for him. A lot of times the Bible talks about just waiting for God. So you've turned back. And, and what's happening in your waiting is God is waiting. You do a little bit like, it's like a, let me show you what you are. Are you willing to wait for me? It's like a little bit of a test of faith. Not because he's challenging you, but because he wants you to know what's in you, what, what your heart is like. So that's the first part. But the, the second part is you actually might not have turned back to him. So search your heart and see what's happening because you might actually be praying but not turning back to God. You might actually be reading the Bible and you might know it really well. I mean, you might have your theology down, but you might still be running from God. You might be coming here on Sunday. Every Sunday you're not missing it, but you're still kind of running from God. 
And you might be obeying him with this list of rules of things you know that you need to do, but really your heart is far from him. Remember the promise, if that's you. He's right there. Just turn back to him. And I'll be honest with you, right now my heart feels stuck. So earlier this week I was driving and I was, I was examining my heart. And it was stuck. And I'm like, heart, like I'm talking to my, like I'm preaching to myself, heart, turn back to God. And it's like my driving was driving straight and my, tur- my turning to God was not budging. And I felt it like I couldn't turn back to him. And I don't know what it is. I don't know what it was, but I felt it, and it wasn't, I wasn't moving. And it's like there's this Bible verse that says, it's the kindness of the Lord that leads you to repentance, which means it helps you turn back. And so what do I do? I don't know. Tune in. Maybe next week I'll have turned back. But I feel stuck. It's like there's chains on my heart, and it's not moving. So a few months ago, we, in the series, we wrote a song that starts with, Bend our hearts and make swift our feet. And call our names to the city of peace. And so there's our answer. It's God who has to be the one that bends our hearts back to him. And the only thing that's going to make him do that is you realizing that he's doing it. it it's funny. You know, God's confusing, but he's bigger than what we know. So just turn to him. And just know once you turn to him, he is the one that turned you. And, and it's not only this, so here's our third point, it's not only that you are turning back to him, but you're also looking forward to what he's going to do, to this eternal resting place. So here's our third point, his destination and ours. The sure oath that God promised to David is he will not have a son that departs from the throne, but it, but it happens. So did God break his promise? And by the way, many of you are maybe thinking that, like, God, you promised me something, it's not happening. Are you breaking your promise? And the answer is no. All things in Christ find their yes and amen in him. And so that's what, what the point is. God makes this promise, God's people are unfaithful, but God remains faithful to his promise, and he sends his son from the line of David to take his rightful place on the throne. Christ is the answer to the promise. Look at me. Mount Zion is the eternal home. And the throne still awaits. And the last verse says, when he takes his throne, all enemies will be turned back in shame. Meaning all darkness, death, sin, evil, this curse, cursed fallen world that we're living in it will all be buried in its own grave and be put to shame and then it says he will have a crown that shines or it could be translated blossoms which means there's flourishing happening all around and when that happens verse 15 and 16 says that there will be abundant provisions from God meaning everything you dreamed of is coming true this spiritual promise and the spiritual reality that you're living in that's not physically taken place one day it will the lamp will be lit and the horn of David will sound and you know Heaven is not this disembodied place where you just float around for all of eternity. It's coming. 
And this is the promise at the end of all things that really there's this grand new beginning where God finally takes his eternal resting place here on the earth and finally the true new creation happens. It will happen. And it's been promised by God. And I want you to notice David initiates it and God consummates it. For you, that means by faith, And by your actions, you are initiating the kingdom of God, heaven dwelling on the earth. This long-for promise that one day the wilderness will no longer be the wilderness. You initiate the city of God coming and dwelling here. And God consummates it. Your purpose in life is way bigger than you realize it. The only thing you're really (laughs) doing, you're only doing this. You're only bringing heaven to earth. That's all. That's a big deal. So if you feel like your life doesn't matter, if you feel like you don't have purpose in your life, just take hold of that truth and start looking around and seeing the things that you could do to bring heaven to earth. And as you initiate those things, in the end of all things, God, Christ, will consummate them. How you view the future will change the way you live today. So take hold of that truth and believe it to be true. And then fourth, fourth point. See the march of Christ. And let Christ's march be what assures you, because here's what he did. He left paradise. He left heaven with his Father. And he came and sought you out in the wilderness in the trackless wasteland. And he met you there in the wilderness. He marched out to you. And then he began his march for you. And he began fighting for you. And he marched himself all the way to the cross. And then he marched himself down into death, into hell, into the abyss, into the darkness. And he was swallowed up But then it's like he took up his sword and cut a hole through hell and he marched up out of hell. And then he marched up to the heavens and he sent his spirit down to dwell in you. But still, this psalm is promising a greater day when he will march down from the heavens and take his place here upon the earth and we will crown him as king. And when he does, when we do this, and when he comes down, there is not one square inch over all the earth that he will not declare as his. God is on the move and he cannot be stopped. So wait with hope because the king will one day return. Let's pray. Father, we pray that with all your might, your mighty hand and your mighty arms might turn our stubborn and stony hearts back to you. So that you might no longer be lost to us. God, we are calling out to you to arise and take your throne, to arise from out in the wilderness, to arise from out in this forest where you have been lost, out in Kiriath-Jerim, and that you would rise and take up your place upon the throne of our hearts. 
And here, God, upon the throne of our hearts, I pray that you would change the way we think, you would change the way we live, you would change the way we feel about all things. And that you would now be our commander who shows us how we ought to live. And that you would be our rescuer who shows us the cost that you have paid for us. God, your throne awaits. Arise. Take your seat and rule. We pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.